Hola, mi gente. It's your girl, Lali's Jasmine, and welcome to Hello Latino. Today's guest is Uridia Peña, a Dominican woman from Williamsburg, Brooklyn. In this episode, she walks us through her life growing up in inner city Williamsburg, her dreams of becoming the Dominican Anna Wintour, to her first time experiencing class division in corporate America. She is now the founder and owner of Alta Consulting, a boutique public affairs firm helping customers achieve their public relations and communication goals. She's also held communication roles in government, labor organizations, and nonprofit entities, and she's all about serving others through her work. Yuridia is the perfect example of a first-generation Latina who created their own version of success. Que disfruten esta conversación, y'all. Adelphine, finally we're doing this. And I, first of all, how did you find me? Because you, you reached out to me like a long, not a long time ago, like a couple months ago when I first started the podcast and you introduced me to, to Giselle and I had Giselle on my podcast. She's like one of my first episodes. She's amazing. But then you introduced me to, then you introduced me to Jenny from El Barrio. La prima. La prima. I think the stars just aligned. I don't remember specifically, but I know that I was looking for um, Latinx podcasts. And I, you know, I listened to a lot of, um, you know, Hosa's podcasts, you know, In the Thick, um, Latinos Out Loud, which is like a very funny podcast um, here in New York City of comedians. And yours just popped up. So, hey, girl, you should, you, oh, I think shoot. you're doing something. Oh, Kurt. You're doing something because... <laughs> You're there. Oh, SEO good, good. is on is on SEO <laughs> on point for the win. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm excited. I'm super excited to have you. I remember we first talked on the phone and I was like, girl, you should be on my pod. It was just like a suggestion. And then I was secretly hoping you'd reach out one day and be like, okay, I'm down. And magically it happened. So I'm really, really excited that you're here. And let's start with the first question, girl. So how do you identify and why? I've always identified, even as a teenager, um, as a Dominican American. So first generation um, and Afro-Latina. So that's a little bit of a mouthful. So it's first generation Dominican American Afro-Latina. And I think the Afro-Latina um, sort of concept to me, like came to me maybe like 15, 20 years ago. And it's something that people don't really talk about. It's, it's something that's sort of popped up more now with, you know, just pop culture and mainstream making these things more accepted. Unfortunately, it should always had been accepted, but um, the Afro-Latina part, I just love it because it just gives you another layer of who you are and it sort of solidifies um, our roots. Yeah. And was there ever question about like Afro-Latinidad? Because I've heard a lot of people say that it's a new term for them. And I think it was Jennifer who said, like, for her, she was uncomfortable with it at first because she was like, well, yeah, Latinos are also, you know, they have African roots. She's like, it was kind of redundant in her opinion. And then she realized the importance of it. Like, for you, did you grow up and you're like, no, I'm just Latina? Or did you not even, like, 
you know like did, was there ever a question of what that afro-latinidad meant to you or did you just kind of figure it out while you were in the workplace or like how did you kind of come into into terms with that being afro-latina was it's just not something that i heard that term growing up at all unfortunately i don't know why but i just didn't um we were always just like i'm latina or i'm spanish which is definitely not the right way yeah. to say it you're not <laughs> spanish <laughs> um but you know growing up in a very dominican dominant neighborhood we didn't really think about that um we knew that we had afro roots but it wasn't something that was so celebrated as it is now and i think it's important to embrace that and does your family embrace it or is it you think like just the younger generations are embracing it more <laughs> it's definitely the younger generation um dominicans are very complex uh there's a lot of, there's a lot of colorism going on and not wanting to accept that part of our heritage and our culture which is unfortunate but you know, my mom says it now. She's like, well, because I'm Afro-Latina. I'm like, yes. So I'm excited <laughs> about that. So it's just like, yes. I, I just feel like you just need to educate our, you know, our folks. You need to educate our grandparents, our parents, and they get it. You know, these are smart people. They come from these countries. So they know what racism and colorism is about. Um, but it's something that it's going to take some time for people to completely embrace it. And I think it's personal, right? It's okay to not identify as Afro-Latina as well. I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah, so going into your family's history and dynamic and before, you know, you moving to Brooklyn and living that Brooklyn life, where, <laughs> talk about your parents or your maybe your immigration story and how you, you basically landed in New York. Well, my family, um, they come from the Dominican Republic, mo both my mom and my dad. Uh, they both immigrated um, when they were like teens, early 20s, um, and they immigrated to the States. My mom's side immigrated to the States like soon after the death of the Dominican dictator, Rafael Trujillo, um, who reigned for like 30 plus years. Um, and, you know, the country was in a crisis, uh, absolutely, and there was no sight of recovery and the government was very unstable. So you see like a huge wave of Dominicans coming to the States and particularly to New York City um, around that time, like 1965-ish, you know, until the 70s. And then there's another wave, I think, in the 90s that's significant to New York City in particular. So, you know, she came here with her, with her parents, um, but my dad, he took another route. He came here undocumented came through Canada, you know, just wanted a better, a better life. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. They met in like a little family party. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, and, and then yeah, the <laughs> You know, they got Girl, married so in the cute. Lower East Side. It's like a very typical oh, New York City immigrant story. Yeah. They got married in the Lower East Side. Then they settled back to the Dominican Republic because my dad was doing very well here and he wanted us to have just a house and just, you know, he's a, he's big, you know, he's a very, um, he loves the rural side of any country. He's just a countryman, you know, um, that didn't bode well because my mom was in the States already since she was like 15 and she even did some college here. She went to BMCC. 
So it was a hard adjustment for her to go back to like the, the Dominican Republic, even if it was a nice house. Um, so they eventually split up and, uh, you know, I was raised by her as a single mom, but they co-parented, they did the best that they could. Um, and we were in the in Williamsburg and so was my dad. So I grew up around my half brothers and sisters. Like, you know, it was a crazy family dynamic, but <laughs> it worked for us. And yeah, Williamsburg was a very interesting place to grow up before any, gentrif any gentrification even came through. So it was great. I mean, I remember when I saw the first, you know, Caucasian people ever in a bodega. Oh, girl, and I was like, tell, are, tell are you story. guys lost? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of oh all, set God. the stage. What what did, for those of us who are not from New York or native New Yorkers. Oh, that's right. What, California. I know California girl over here, um, but it, describe Williamsburg in, in the time that you were growing up there. Cause I know it's probably different now, oh. right? Gentrification, you know, Yeah. <laughs> but describe and like set that stage. Um, well, let's see Williamsburg in the nineties, Williamsburg, Brooklyn in the nineties, it was very vibrant. Um, it was predominantly Dominican, Puerto Rican, some African-American, and a very big Hasidic Jewish community as well. But they were like kind of on the other side and kept to themselves. <laughs> um, but, you know, we were the the rowdy, you know, Latinos in, in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It was, you know, there was a lot of infestation of drugs and our parks were not safe. Um, our school district was one of the lowest performing. Um, and it was it was rough. It was rough. But at the same moment... I grew up with a lot of family, so I always felt safe. I never felt unsafe. Now, I'm sure my mom had other ideas about that. I'm sure she thought that we weren't safe um, because she was an adult and she knew what was going on. But in terms of like the kids, like, you know, I see my cousins every day. I go to school with them. My tias are all over the place. We're all cooking for each other. Like, it was just so great growing up in, in that environment. Um, so with that said, we, there, we just didn't see white people. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, it was just like, I mean, that's the reality, so right? It's like, yeah. It's yeah. I saw them on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw them on TV or my teachers. A lot of my teachers were white. Um, mm, but girl, can we just yeah. take a second? That's another that's issue. A, <laughs> that's another issue. That's big because same thing for me. I grew up in a very, very Latino community. Like my school was mm -hmm. like 60, 70% Latinos. Literally, I remember going to high school and I'm just like, oh my God, like there's so <laughs> many white people here. And I was just like, <laughs> I felt so different because I'm like, okay, now I'm the minority. And like, that's yes. weird. And that was, you don't know so how weird. to act. You don't know. And you just kind of blend in the background because you're like, oh, my God, like you just feel a little uncomfortable. But I remember my school, my like K through eight, because my K through eight, it was all Latinos. Right. But we didn't really have a lot of Latino teachers or even teachers who lived in the area and were teaching. <laughs> but mm -hmm. it was all people coming from outside areas and like teaching at our school. And they were exactly. all at And I remember we had one Latino teacher, Mr. Valadez, still hype him up. I remember he came to school and he started teaching and we were all like todo Latinos. We were all like swarming over him like, oh, my God. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and he, we loved it because we we're like, that's us. Like we see ourselves seen, you know, and it's yes. just like I just wanted to point that out because I'm like, that's that's a really important thing that we go through. 
Well, you need those role models. I would have loved mm-hmm. to see more Latinas um, educators growing up. I think that's very important. But back to my quick story of me seeing the first white settlers. No, I'm kidding. This is so settlers. bad. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, we just went to a bodega, me and my cousin, and we saw like these two guys and I just couldn't believe it. We were just like, what are you, are you guys lost? Are you okay? They're like, no, we like live around here. And I'm like, why do you live around here? Do you not understand? This is like not the safest place. They're like, no, it's Okay. <laughs> And that was the end of that. After that, I feel like I realized I it, it became like I noticed that this wave of diversity, you know, it wasn't just white people. We had um, other folks coming in from different states. Um, we had a lot of French people as well, a lot of artists. I mean, it just made the bar scene when I turned 21 so much more fun because you know, you would go into a bar and you would see an eclectic group of people from all over the world. You know, I've met people from so many different um, countries just coming here, trying to make it, you know, and it Mm -hmm. was at the end, it was okay. I mean, it it displaced, you know, it displaced a lot of folks. It displaced a lot of my family, my own family members as well. Um, because the government at the time just wanted to bring in all this new development, bring in all these new people in and forgot about the people that actually built up um, and worked for, for, you know, the neighborhood. So that was extremely unfortunate. And that was one of the reasons why, you know, I went into public service to, to make those types of changes and to make sure that people don't get displaced anymore. And I want to, I want to quickly go into that because I know we're going to go into your career but you know, you seeing diversity, what was, you were already exposed to diversity, but what was the first instance where you were kind of stepping out of the bubble of Williamsburg or of your family, right? Cause you're growing up around a lot of Dominicans, Latinos, like what was the first experience that you had in your, in your workplace or maybe even going to college? Like, did you just like start to see like the world? Like, oh my God, there's so much more to, to see, right? Cause that's how I felt. I was like, oh my God, there's so many things that I yeah. haven't experienced or seen. And that's, again, a, a big mm-hmm. first-generation story. But but at the, like, how was that experience, whether it was college or going into your first corporate job? I mean, I always felt like I was very street smart and savvy, even going into college. So I went away to college. I was, like, one of the first primas to go away to college. <laughs> um, and, you know, I went to SUNY Purchase. Shout out to SUNY Purchase. I love that school. It's a small state school um, in New York and, you know, it was very diverse, um, but it was also had a lot of underlying of, you know, discrimination, right? Like people made fun of my name and I was used to that, you know, but it was just, it just hits differently when you're like 18, 19. It's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. like, and, you know, so that was unfortunate, but at the same moment, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but did that kind of did that make you feel a type of way about your name or were you just kind of like brushing no. it off? Like whatever. I definitely brushed it off. Um, you know, it's funny. My name is Judivia in English. It's Euridia. And I remember in college, people started saying, why are you make, why let make them say your name? Like your name is not Euridia. And I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and like teach you phonetics in Spanish. Like <laughs> girl, just say it in, girl. in American. It's fine. It's Euridia. <laughs> You know, once you become my friend, you call me Judy. Okay. (laughs) 
it's exhausting, right? Like trying to just like, Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I, I dealt with that all the time so much that I was just like, don't even call me my first name. Like just call me Jasmine. <laughs> and then after a while I was like, you know what? Like oh, you skipped no. your, your first name altogether. Girl, I did. I remember being so nervous in school whenever we had a substitute uh. so like whenever we had like substitutes or I had a new class and they'd go through roll call, I knew my name was coming up because they'd hesitate. They'd be like, um, mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Dal- and I'm just like, just call me Jasmine. <laughs> like that's how, that's how I would be because I was just so like, don't even try, like just don't. And after a while, I, I was like, oh my god, like this made me kind of feel like uncomfortable, feel some type of way about my first name so much that I never used it. And so now I'm like, wow. Call me now you're ice. embracing it. Now I'm embracing exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> love <Julia>. that. <laughs> Good job. We need to embrace um, our names, girl. We have beautiful Spanish now, names. Now it's like, now I, I feel people, you know, they try a lot more. They're like, how do you, yeah. do you rather me say it in Spanish? And I usually say, you're ready as fine. Because I have, my my pet peeve is like people struggling with the name and it just annoys me. So I'm just like, say you're ready. Rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, but, you know, back to your, your question, um, I think I really experienced sort of that more like classism more than anything else in the workplace. You know, I studied journalism, wanted to be a writer, wanted to be a reporter. And, you know, I I was able to get an internship for a very well-known travel magazine. And, you know, I was like, wow, this is like my devil wears Prada moment. You know, like this is just exactly what you want to do. You want to like work on Fifth Avenue, work for like a prominent, you know, outlet and be around just beautiful people and, you know, everything that you have in your head when you're like 21, 22, you know, like you're just like, this is what life is about. Um, But it was a pretty much rude awakening for me because I was very naive to my surroundings in terms of like, you know, my background, uh, the fact that I grew up poor, the fact that I went to an inner city school um, that didn't have like the most prestigious name. Um, The fact that I went to a public college as well. You know, most of the folks in this particular magazine all came from very, you know, prestigious universities, you know, Ivy League schools. And I was literally the only one who went to like a small little school in New York State. So, you know, aside from that, it was just, it was hard, you know, and no one looked like me. Everyone... It was just very different. And this was in 2001. So you didn't have like this, this emergence of like, you, you have to feel good in your own skin. And, you know, you know, your, your Latinidad and your culture is what makes you like that. It, that was like kind of resurfacing a little bit or, but it wasn't like what it is now. Um, so it made you want to sort of go into your show and like try to just fit in, you know, and as much as you can. Um, I mean, at the end, it was a great opportunity for me because I realized that maybe I wanted to do something else. Maybe I didn't want to be in the corporate setting, you know, maybe I wanted to to explore other career opportunities. But one of the things that really hit me and really made me think about you know, my career path. And if I wanted to be in this industry that didn't really accept me um, was, you know, an instance that I had with a coworker, you know, there was one other Dominican, 
woman who worked there. And when I found her, I latched on to her, you know, and she took me under her wing and we're still friends now. She's an amazing person. Um, but then she saw me fraternizing a lot with the people in the mailroom. And she literally took me aside and said, you know, listen, if you want to go up in the company, um, you have to stop fraternizing with people in the mailroom, basically is what she said. Um, and I saw like that class division and the people in the mailroom were my people. You know, these are like the people that I, you know, I, I had just met them, but they reminded me of people I grew up with, people from my neighborhood, people I felt comfortable with, people I wanted to have drinks with. And I didn't have to explain my name or what Williamsburg, Brooklyn was like 10 years before that, you know, like it was just, it felt like home to me. And, you know, that's where like my naiveness like sort of shined through. And I didn't want to make that decision. You know, I was just like, oh, that's kind of kind of whack for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to play that game. I don't, it's not something, it's not me. You know, I mean, I had to play the game for like a good, almost a year there, but, <laughs> yeah. but I still, I still went to happy hour with my people. I didn't really care. And, <laughs> you know, that may have put me in a, you know, that may have put me in a category to maybe the, the editors there that, you know, I didn't want to be part of, you know, their team, whatever it may be, who knows. But I think at the end of the day, it just wasn't a good fit because sometimes you graduate college with this mentality of like, I want to do this with my life now. And it, it could be like a good start and it, you could have like that foundation there. I think you just know you want to be successful and what you think successful is because of what we see on TV and what's fed to us as kids is, you know, being the next Anna Wintour. You know, that's that's what was fed to me. So I didn't think about other things. I didn't think about, you know, um, going to Occupy Wall Street, you know, back in the day, I don't know who's going to remember those days, but like going into Wall Street and marching for, for um, equality and economic advancement. Um, I didn't think about that, you know, success could look like helping people get $15 an hour, you know, as fast food workers. It's something that I had no idea that I could do something like that and enjoy it and love it and be fulfilled um, and not see that class division so much in front of me. Yeah, it's crazy how it's crazy how much we we experience that in the workplace. I remember my very first this was still I was still in college, my very first internship at this corporate company, I will not name it, but I went in and I remember seeing like no Latinos around or anyone of color, no one that looked like yeah. me, no one that came from the same barrios as me, you know, like nobody. And I was like, this is so interesting. And again, like we talked about it earlier, it makes you want to, for me, it made me want to go into my shell. Cause I was like, I just feel so different. Right. And like, and then yeah. I remember I went to the lunchroom and I met the cooks and I'm like, those are my Latinos. And we just like, like we bonded. <laughs> we were like, I would be so excited to go to lunch yes. just so I can talk to them. And then be like, oh my God, ¿y qué estás haciendo? Uh. And like, I'm like, you know, aquí trabajando. <laughs> and it was just like, I was catching up with like family. And it's just like so powerful to see yourself seen, right? It's like, I know you're cooking. I know I'm on this side, but still like, it feels, it feels like there is no barrier between us. And like, I feel more barriers in a, in a right. conference room with all these people, even though we're on the same team, I feel it more with them than I do with mm -hmm. the people who are like serving. 
And there was also like, Judy, I don't know if you ever felt this, but like, I don't think I ever voiced this, but I'm gonna tell you because, you know, aquí estamos in a vulnerable space. But I remember a part of me felt super guilty for being in the place that I was in because I'm like, mm. like, why am I like, why am I here? Like you guys are there and like sirviendo, yeah. limpiando, cocinando. Like that's what my parents did. That's what my family did. And there was a part of me that felt like I didn't belong in the space that I was in. And it was like this weird moment for me, like super young, una chiquita, una niña, you know, like in an internship, like doing something for her career and just feeling like, yes, do I, do I belong in this space? I, I was about <laughs> to say, I, and you know what, that is something that it's almost like having an imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. And that's something that's real. You know, I've been reading a little bit about this, that you don't, you don't, what makes me so special? I don't deserve to be in this space. Why can't it be like that person's kid um, or that person, right? Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I still, I still wrestle with this a little bit. And it's like, no, if it's not going to be you, then who is it going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I always, I always say, like, if the space isn't there for you, like, just create the space, because there will be someone coming after you and that's the whole point mm -hmm. you could be that trailblazer and it's okay to feel guilty I mean inherently if you grew up in a Latino home and you were Catholic like guilt is on you forever like there's no yes. you cannot escape it we feel guilty about breathing so you know just embrace it and say okay I and check your own privilege too because that mm -hmm. just means that you have a pri there is privilege there um and I think one of the, the ways that I coped with it in, in college is that I did something that was not true, not, not, not true to myself, but I did something completely different, which was I surrounded myself with people that didn't look like me. So even though I went to a small college, there was a Latino community there. And I was cool with a lot of them, obviously, but I also, I guess, embraced just other cultures. I embraced my Italians, you know, I embraced, you know, African Americans too, because I knew that I didn't grow up with a lot of them. And I, hello, like I love, you know, my African Americans and their culture and, and like their history and, and everything else. And it was just like, I wanted to be around them more. So I purposely took myself out of like, you know, let's not spend all my time in the Latinos Unidos <laughs> cafeteria. Let me like learn something about other people. You know, I feel, I felt like I already know enough I, about my own Latinidad. Like, let me embrace other cultures and, you know, for lack of better words, white people too. Right. Cause mm -hmm. you know, they're, we're all here. It's a big melting pot. Uh, we all have to work together you know, we're all in these spaces and these people are still my best friends now, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I did that. I pushed myself. And sometimes it's, it's, it's okay to feel that you don't deserve to be in these, in these spaces. But once you're there, my God, take advantage of it. And like, mm -hmm. just immerse yourself, immerse yourself. And yeah. if you don't like it, move on to the next thing. Like I didn't like that magazine. I moved on to something completely different and that's okay too. But at least I tried, I try to be in those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I actually had a conversation, a panel on, on this topic, imposter syndrome and just feeling underrepresented. 
and it's and and there is a sense like someone asked me they're like how do you get over it and I'm like well yeah it's never gone for me at least like it never goes away completely it's there's always going to be moments of like guilt you know again like you said Latinos know guilt very well too (laughs) growing up in a religious home but for me like what gets me over is kind of what you were talking about is knowing that someone else is going to come after me And like the way that I see it is like, I still have family growing up in inner cities. I still have family growing up in the hood. So like when I see them, I see my nieces and nephews, especially being a Latina woman, right? Like in a Latino family, at least for me, it was like, I could cocinar, limpiar, servir and be a good wife. Like things like that, right? And I'm like, I cannot wait for my nieces to see me and be like, oh, I can do that too. My tia did it. Or I can do that too. My prima did it. You know, like I just want them to see you don't have to be fake. You don't have to be somebody else or front. You can just be yourself and and own your cultura, where you come from. Like being being from the hood Absolutely. is a whole different set of skills too. Like you know, the, it taught me everything <laughs> that I like need to Life navigate skills. the world. Life skills for sure. And I'm just like, I cannot wait till they see themselves in those spaces and see themselves represented. Not just me, but everybody else that's doing it right now. I'm like, I want them to be like. I can do it too, <laughs> you know, yeah, and just see exactly. themselves. Yeah. So that's what gets me over it too. So I, I get you, but talk more about, so you left the travel magazine. Yeah. I left the travel magazine and I started working in like social justice spaces. I worked for uh, unions, right? So labor movement here in New York city, which as well in California, I believe um, you guys have a lot of farm workers, mm-hmm. very strong labor you know, presence here still to this day. So, uh, you know, it's built on, you know, the the men and women of the labor sector. So I started working in that space and more of like the education educator space. Um, But then I moved on to work for 32BJ SEIU. And it was a very um, pivotal time for New York and for a lot of other states. Uh, going back to like the fight for 15, this was like around 2013, 2014. Um, a lot of states sort of coalesced together to try to get um, uh, fast food workers, you know, McDonald's workers, Burger King, just fast food workers, $15 an hour. Um, and it was something that was a big movement. Like, I, I don't know if you remember, but here in New York City, we would wake up at five o'clock in the morning this was my job. Five o'clock in the morning, uh, go in front of the McDonald's in Times Square, uh, hustle one person in with a hidden banner. And uh, the person would go to the Times Square McDonald's, which is a very nice McDonald's, by the way, and like have this huge banner that says, you know, fight for 15. Um, and then we would basically not really allow people to go into the McDonald's. I mean, they could, but, you know, and we would be there like all day Damn, and then we would Judivia go to, out there. Yeah, <laughs> but it was cool. It was very cool. And I worked for like the communications department of sort of, uh, of, of the organization at the time. So they would like literally deploy us to, to different rallies and different protests. We did this in Connecticut too. We did this in Hartford, Connecticut. We did, um, you know, stage walk-ins. We did, um, uh, you know, just different type of demonstrations. And we got it. We were able to change the legislation from in different states, state by state, to change the legislation so that um, fast food workers could get $15 an hour. And who knew? I would never have thought in college that I could do that for a living, you know? 
um, and still work in the communication space, still be a publicist, you know, but for this kind of cause, which is always great. Like there was no other job after that that would say, you know, Turidia, go out there. If you get arrested, we got you in less than 24 hours. <laughs> you know, we're going to get the best lawyers to get you out. Never happened, thank God. But, you know, it was it was really cool. It was just like such a great way to voice what you care about and also tell the story to to the media, you know, and disseminate that story. Um, that fast food workers were no longer, you know, 15-year-old kids. These were adults with kids, with a household, and they cannot, you know, sustain their families in $5 an hour. Like, that's insane. Like, this is a real job now. Um, so, and it's something that these organizations are still fighting for. So it was great. And this sort of like brought me into the public sector, public service, you know, civic engagement. I ended up, you know, working in government. Um, I was a press secretary, deputy press secretary for the Department of Education in New York City. You know, I worked a lot with kids who were incarcerated, a lot with English language learners. Um, and it was just such rewarding work, you know, and I was still able to be a writer in my own right, um, you know, still talk to reporters and, and get this message out there that, you know, we have so many underserved communities that are completely marginalized and overlooked. And if we don't do something for them, then we're going to pay for it. We're going to pay for it in our taxes. We're going to pay for it in our justice system and in our criminal justice system, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, it's just such rewarding work. And that's how I basically ended up working where I am now in that space. Oh, my God. You literally went from Travel Magazine. <laughs> Was it Fifth <laughs> Avenue? Is that what you said? <laughs> yes. So just like one of those avenues, <laughs> one of those avenues to doing something that was that you had no idea. And that's really important too. like, we don't really have yeah. people to look up to that are like doing the work in different spaces, because like you said, yeah. we consume one, one narrative. Right. And we're like, Oh, like, don't get said it. So work on fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever Avenue it is and have that glamorous life. But it's like, you can also do both. You can do something that has meaning and give back to underserved communities and still have the life that you wanted and write and journal and do those things, talk to press, todo eso. Exactly. We're so limited sometimes and it's not our fault. It's just that we're not exposed to like what's out there. Um, and these are jobs that still need people of color. Like I, oh my God, like I want to, please, where are my Latinas that want to be in communications? Call me because... We need more of you. You know, we have such a different perspective um, and it's needed. It's needed in the boardrooms. It's needed in those, you know, brainstorming, you know, <laughs> sessions that I'm in. It's just needed in government. It's desperately needed in government is mm -hmm. needed in so many spaces. And I think it's just because of the lack of acknowledgement, the lack of just access to, to these types of jobs. Yeah. Do you think that that access is more of a, in general, everyone like does, isn't really exposed to that? Or do you think it's more of like Latinos or underserved communities aren't exposed to, to those different lines of work? I do think that's just a, like a people from underserved communities, or do you think it's just like in general, it's not exposed? I think it's a mix. I think it's a mix. I think for, for like my particular, like for millennials, my generation, 
you know, we were raised, at least in, in my experience, you're either going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a business person, whatever that meant, you know, like, voy a estudiar negocio, okay, and do what with that, like, okay, like, now it's different, because now it's like, everyone has their own business, so everyone's an entrepreneur, but, you know, back in the early 2000s, it's like, it's limited, it's, and your parents were like, you know, you got to go to school to become a doctor or a lawyer. I almost took like, you know, the LSATs because I'm like, I guess I'll become a lawyer because I like to talk. I don't yeah. know, <laughs> you know, but I think now there's a lot more access. I think now with social media, people are really seeing, especially now with like Black Lives Matter, you know, how activism can actually be a career path. You know, that's a real thing. And you could actually make change you could go into politics look at AOC right and so many others that followed her you know the this is like something that the internet has done well hasn't done a lot of things well but this is one thing where it's worked where it's like now there is like access or at least there's acknowledgement of all these different paths that you can take and that being innovative and entrepreneurial is okay you know I think Latinos inherently we are business people. We talk a lot. We Girl. we know how to convince you <laughs> to do anything. <laughs> you know, we tell great stories. We're entertaining. Like we are entertainers. Funny. So for real, for real, that's for that's sure. facts too. My mom can freaking sell the shoes off of you. Like my like no one does it like my mom. I'm just like. Oh my God. Like she would look at you, be so sweet, be like, Ay, Juridia, tu, tu cabello está lindo, pero like you should try this product. And she would just like make you, she would just like make you buy something. And you're like, what did I just like buy? <laughs> and I'm just like, Mommy, está loca. But she, I mean, they had to hustle. I mean, I think it's just like a natural, innate thing in Latinos. And I'm always so proud of that. I'm like, I'm so happy I grew up Latina because it gave me the skills. Like, for real, to be in the field that I'm in. <laughs> yes. Oh, I want to meet your mom now. I know. She's going to sell you products. <laughs> but <laughs> I want to quickly go into our cafecito and chisme because you, you talked about, you know, like growing up in, growing up Dominican in Williamsburg and and working in, in these different spaces and travel magazine to, to public service. Um, and I want to talk about what you're doing now and what you're what you're up to, what Juridia is doing and how we can we can follow <laughs> and, and just like admire your work. But quickly, I want to ask something because I want to go back to your travel magazine experience. And you said, you know, there was a lot of class division. And, you know, I think about that. Your, your friend who was like, you know, if you want to make it yeah. in this field, like. You can't be doing that. You know, you can't be talking to people in the mailroom. My question for you is, <laughs> one, how did you how did you make the switch to public service? Is it something that found you? Did you just like want to do the exact opposite? And my second question is, how was the experience different? I'm sure I can come up with a lot of things, but like how was the mm. experience different for you in in terms of that class division or you know, like being with all these other people who may have not been in the front lines of those those civic movements, but were doing the hard work. And again, I mean, I have so many things going through my head, but I'm just like, how was just the whole experience different? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like about to ask you like 10 different questions, but I'm like, no, I'm just going to stop there. <laughs> Tú sabes, we could talk forever. <laughs> I know we really can. Um, 
Well, I think the job just found me. I think I found it on like one of these websites, Indeed or something. It was like a writing job. And I, I, I was writing a little bit for the travel magazine, but I wanted to do something different. And it was very much like, hey, do you want to like write for about education or something? I'm like, sure. Um, and I got the job right away. And it was like an assistant editor job for a small little, little paper that um, covered principles, New York City principles. So, you know, I made the transition. And what I loved about that job was that it was, I was like a one woman show. I was the photographer. I was the editor. I was the writer. I was the layout project person. I was project manager. I did everything, you know, with my boss and, um, my supervisor at the time who is like, became an incredible mentor for me. Um, we're still friends till this day. And it was just such, it was just eye-opening because I was able to go to press conferences with then Mayor Bloomberg and like, uh, you know, labor unions and educators. And I saw like in front of me how government works, how government, how labor, how community advocates, how it all comes together to sort of, um, to implement a policy or an initiative or, or, you know, even something as small as creating a new dual language program in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn. Like what, how does that even happen? You know? Um, and I was just fascinated. I was fascinated with the politics of it all. You know, it was just amazing how like council members and assembly members and senators, you know, these are things that you, you learn about in history class, but when you see government actually working in front of your face, you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is not quite what I imagined. Um, and I just also just fell in love with the community, with that community of people. Um, and I made some of my best, best friends there, you know, and these are the people that we ended up going to um, Las Vegas in 2012 to reelect Obama or go to Miami to try to get Hillary in the White House and cried all night yeah. <laughs> when she didn't make it. Um, yeah. You know, these are people that that have become like really great friends. But I just I just love to learn. Like, I feel like I'm a, like a lifelong learner. It's kind of corny, but it's true. And then when I saw something that I was never exposed to, which was politics, government and just public service and the labor movement I was fascinated by the entire thing and I just stayed on that track I ended up working in the city council um I ended up working for you know the DOE which was extremely rewarding um the portfolio that they gave me was just so amazing it was just such a great time it was a crazy time um very hectic but it was also just very very rewarding. Um, and it was just, you know, it's, it's just been a full ride. And just to answer your question, what I'm doing now, um, you know, pandemic upended everyone's lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, I thought it was, it would be a good idea to open my own boutique firm <laughs> during okay. 2020. Cause I had, I had nothing but time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, took the dive and I said, you know what, I'm not, it's okay. Let's just see if this works. You know, I think I know enough people in my field to get my, my feet wet, you know, as someone who's independent, like as an independent, you know, communications advisor and publicist. And it's gone like, you know, 
really well. I have clients that, you know, organizations that I care about so much, you know, from the social justice space um, to the public arts space, um, you know, working with folks in like climate change, you know, I was reading about carbon markets the other day. It's like really great um, working on your own or even working for a firm because you get so many different clients and you're able to learn about so many different issues and subjects. Um, and in that, you know, turn, you also just talk to different reporters and different media markets. And it's just extremely rewarding as well. And I'm actually also working for a New York City mayoral candidate, which if anyone is listening from New York City, please vote in our June primaries for <laughs> Sean Donovan. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's it's been a whirlwind, but I, I love it. I love it. And I, you know, if folks want to learn more about Alta Consulting, it's my website is altaconsulting.co. And I'm sure that Odalis is going to put all of my Twitter yes, handles girl. and such. <laughs> yes, girl. Wow, look at you. You are out here. <laughs> you are out here. And I Hi. and what is it like? One, one last question before we do our closing. But what is it like to be a Latina woman in this space? Do you see more Latinas? Do you are you paving the way for more Latinas to come? Or even just being, if you want to be more specific, being a Dominican woman from New York in this space, like how if you could describe that experience for people listening, for maybe little Dominicanas or little Latinas listening, and they're like, oh my God, I want to follow in, in Judy Diaz's footsteps. Like, what has your experience been like in this space? Because we heard your travel magazine like experience, but what is what is your experience being a Dominican American Afro Latina? If you if you want to be Anna Wintour, please, please make it happen. I, I want to live to see the first Latina Anna Wintour. I'm, I'm yes. sure you're going to blow it off the waters. It's going to happen. Um, it just wasn't for me. Um, so, I mean, it's been, I, I stand on shoulders of so many women that have come before me, so many Latina women that have come before me that have their own firms that are, you know, hustling and doing such amazing work for the government for social justice groups, for movements. You know, I have friends in the Black Lives Matter movement that are literally putting their lives on the line every day to, to get justice. So, you know, not a trailblazer. I don't see myself that way at all, but I, I do want to, you know, just make it a little bit easier, right? Just make it a little bit easier for, for us to be in those spaces. It's absolutely challenging, you know? Just because I was in a social justice space or in a government space doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, experience, uh, you know, microaggressions and sexism, a lot of that in government um, and all that other stuff. But you know what? That is why I think, you know, I wouldn't trade the way that I was raised or how or where my circumstance for anything in the world because, you know, it just made me so much more thick skinned. I'm like, OK, whatever. <laughs> Tell me something yeah. I haven't heard. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Tell me tell me why I was talking about this with my brother the other day. I was like, I don't know if it's just because I grew up with dudes like in the house, like all these older dudes, or it's because we grew up Latino, but like I I'm still like pretty sensitive compared to my family members because again, they're all yeah. guys and they're just like trying to be all macho men. But 
even my sisters are way older and they like, you know, grew up in a different lifestyle, but I'm like, I'm definitely like sensitive, but I also like compared to other people, I'm like, I'm actually pretty thick skinned compared to a lot of people. <laughs> and I hear, I thought I was really sensitive sure. because growing up in my family, like, Ay, la niña, you know, la niña está llorando. I'm like, yeah, because y'all are mean. <laughs> and it was just so I funny. We were talking about that. Why are you so mean? Yes. I, I am also the most sensitive one too in my house. But then you step out into the world and you're like, you're not. You're so tough. <laughs> you're so tough. I'm like, really? Don't have, don't tell my family that. They're going to be like, nah. <laughs> I also think we also put a shell when we go out there. I know I do. I always oh, feel much sure. more tougher than what I am. In the for inside, sure, I'm crying. Sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but okay, girl, let's do our closing before we go on a whole different subject. But let's let's do our closing. I really am so thankful that you shared this story because I think so many people will just feel seen and empowered. Um, and I do see you as a trailblazer. Like, I don't, I don't think that trailblazer means anything more than just someone paving the way. Like that's, that's what a trailblazer is for me. Mm. And I think that you're paving the way for a lot of people in your community, a lot of Dominicanas, a lot of Latinas, a lot of Latinos in general, you're paving the way in your space. So own that girl, own it. I see it. That's how I see you. Gracias. <laughs> Um, but let's do our closing, our little brindis. And I have my cafecito right here. But let's do our brindis. And what I like to do. I don't have here... a brindis. ¿Cómo? ¿Cómo así? ¿Qué es eso? <laughs> Wait, what is that? <laughs> oh, Dios mío. <laughs> salad dressing. <laughs> She's like, it's lunchtime for me. I, don't know I completely forgot cafecito. about the brindis. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. Wait, if you have anything you around you. <laughs> it's okay girl i have my little my little cafecito mira like the branding though i love it so oh cute. my god is that like part of your your swag because i need yeah, it this is my merch okay girl my little, my little Ay, pero salud. mucho amor mucho salud this was amazing mm. this was Aww. great thank you yeah and let's do our I'll probably have... though, because whether you have okay. a these or not Let's do this because what I like to do here is have you manifest mm -hmm. some good for our Latino community and do a virtual cheers. So what do you want to cheers to? What do you want to ma manifest for our community? I'm going to give you the, the space. Well, I think now that there's a little bit more of light um, at the end of the this four-year very long tunnel um, <laughs> after you-know-who, um, we all, we I all just know. want... <laughs> girl... I just want to just manifest like just goodness, you know, just bringing back the good in people, the good in humanity. I know it's there. I know that, you know, we can just do better. We can do better and we will do better. And COVID was a very rude awakening for everyone. Um, and I think that because of it, you know, we're going to recover stronger and better Um, and yeah, I think for our Latinos and Latinas out there, you know, just keep at it, just keep working, just keep loving, you know, it's just that much more important to be in this space and in the presence of family and just being grateful for everything that we have. Mm. Cheers, girl. Salud. Cheers. Salud. With your little salad dressing. <laughs> You were really for real. You're like, I have this. <laughs>
Thank y'all so much for tuning in to this episode with Yuridia Peña. I am such a big fan of hers, and I know after this episode, you might be too. She is for real a trailblazer in this community and just so honored to have her in this space. Do you want to know more about Yuridia and follow her and follow her journey? Check her out on Instagram at UDPI, Twitter at Yuridia Peña, and find her on LinkedIn. If you want to know more about Alta Consulting, check out altaconsulting.co and find them on LinkedIn. In the meantime, see y'all next week for more Cafecito and Chisme. Connect with me on Instagram at ojasmine with four A's, Twitter at olalijasmine, and find me on LinkedIn. And check out my website, olalijasmine.com. Con mucho amor, familia hondureña. Mi gente, what's up? This is Chris Gates. I had the pleasure of being Odalis' guest in the Cuba Through My Eyes episode of this amazing podcast. Today, I want to invite you to a free month's membership to my startup, Rise On. Founded by two first-gen Latinos, Rise On is like taking a Zumba class for your mental and emotional health. Our mission is to build humans from the inside out, and we help first-gen folks just like you to grow and to heal. So whether you're struggling with life's challenges or just thirsty for a community to help you grow, Rise On is for you. Every week, we create a space for mindful introspection in community. That's what you get when you mix mindfulness, journaling, coaching, and vulnerable conversations. It's a space to be seen authentically, to develop self-awareness and build inner skills alongside a group of inspiring peers. Our goal is to help you to tap into your own power consistently, to find perspective, clarity, and direction anytime you need it. Over the past two years, we've designed hundreds of experiences for our clients to do just this. These are entrepreneurs and young professionals who trace their roots to some 20 countries. Folks who, despite being brilliantly talented and looking like they got it all together from the outside, are working through some real-life challenges. So join us. We'd like to invite every listener of this podcast to experience a Rise On membership for free for an entire month. That includes our weekly Rise On sessions, live and online, plus on-demand mindfulness content and daily community support. To activate your free month Rise On membership, visit www.riseon.life. That's R-I-S-O-N dot L-I-F-E. Rise On dot life. Mi gente, let's rise on.